Aloha! You are listening to the Dangerous Love Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Ford, and we are here today with Sharla Wantanay. And Sharla is a good friend uh, and someone that I've known and been able to work with uh, in the past and excited to have her on today. She is a marriage and family therapist currently residing in Auckland, New Zealand with her Kiwi partner and their four lovely children. Charlotte holds a bachelor's degree in child development, a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and a postgraduate diploma certificate in drug and alcohol counseling. She is a member of the New Zealand Association of Counselors, and I invited her on the podcast today to talk about dangerous love and marriage. So, Charlotte, we were have a lot of interest in people thinking about conflict in their marriage and how to deal with conflict in their marriage or how they struggle with that. And I know as a therapist, this is something that you spend a lot of time working with couples and working through a lot of issues. And so maybe just tell us a little bit about how you got uh, into the field and, and uh, your philosophy behind doing marriage and family therapy. Oh, okay. So that's a, that's a big question. I think as I'm sure, you know, everybody's journey is, is so varied. So I actually, you know, you kind of mentioned um, where I started out. So I started out under wanting to work with children, wanting to work in child development. And it was, it was really wonderful. I love kind of understanding the developmental process and, and working with them. But after, after my bachelor's, I got into the field and I was working in the community. And one of the biggest things I noticed is that spending so much time with these children and, and trying to, to help them and to teach them and kind of mentor them, you kind of throw them back into their system, so to speak, whether that's at home or school or in the community. And if that is not working well, if it's not encouraging them to thrive and to continue in their progress, then, then nothing really changes. And so that's what kind of encouraged me to go on and kind of look at more kind of the macro system of, you know, whether that's the family system or, or you know, whatever system they're a part of. And, and that kind of led me more into, you know, the field of marriage and family therapy that, you know, really just says we are our best functioning self when the systems around us are healthy and strong. So that, that's kind of part of what led me there. And really, I think overall, I just, I think anyone that goes into the therapeutic field just loves working with people and I find relationships fascinating. I think when you see it done well, it's, you know, just kind of miraculous and, and really inspiring to see how much can change in a person's ability to thrive in life when you watch their relationships change. So that's a little bit of kind of why I, I got into it and kind of how I got specifically into working with couples and families. Um, but yeah, I think it, it continues to evolve and my focus evolves as I grow and as I, as I kind of evolve myself. One of the things that I try to tell as a mediator, and I'm not a therapist, and so you deal with a lot of issues that I don't deal with in, in, in mm-hmm. conflict, right? A lot of mental health issues and other things like that right. that can also impact, mm-hmm. impact the marriage, though, is that just having conflict is not a problem in a marriage. In fact, it's the norm, right? Conflict to me is more of a neutral word, which means that we're having a, a challenge collaboratively problem solving together, right? Like we're, we're faced with challenges, which every marriage is, 
but we're having a hard time solving those problems together. And, and to me, that's normal. It's what we do with conflict afterwards that can either take it off the rails and it can become really destructive conflict and it can hurt the marriage or it can become a way of actually growing together. Would you, right. would and you agree I with that? I love, I love the way you phrase that because that's something I constantly say because I, I do get a lot of couples coming in and it's, it's always kind of a bit of a red flag for me if I have a couple come in for counseling specifically because they're saying, you know, they're struggling in their marriage. But then when we get on the topic of conflict and they say, oh, actually, we, we, don't really, we don't really have any conflict. And so to me, absolutely, you're right. We're, two, we're kind of taking two different people from two different systems, throwing them together. And just those differences alone mean that we're, gonna, we're not always going to be on the same idea. We're not going to always be in the same direction. But it's always what like you say what we do next what we choose to do after the conflict arises or after we're aware of oh we're not in the same direction on this we're not agreeing on the same issue what do we do next and that next part is what's pivotal and and that's where we we kind of see like you say people either start to thrive and and they find a way to move and kind of get movement in the relationship or we get a bit stuck so no Absolutely. So so let's talk about one of those ways we get stuck. I I get a a lot of questions. I'm going to sort of filter some of those to you. But but one of the ones I talk about early in the book that actually a lot of people resonate with is they're just actually scared of conflict. Just the whole idea of conflict is scary. And then when you're having it with your partner or significant other, the stakes actually, you know, feel much higher in that case, right? If I'm in a conflict at work, maybe the stakes aren't as high as they are at home. And so what sort of advice or how would you handle a couple that's actually the way they're handling it is they're avoiding it or they're not actually addressing uh, the conflict in the room? Because I, I, I feel for many people that's the first step and it's, it's sometimes the hardest is just to acknowledge that it's there and, that, and being willing to engage it. Yeah, I think one thing that stood out to me just now as you're kind of explaining it is, is you're absolutely right. And if we have a conflict with a colleague at work and and they end up not liking us or deciding, eh, I don't really like, I'm not going to work with this person or, you know, it doesn't really throw us as much as, you know, potentially our life partner. And I think a lot of that has to do with what I, what I tend to see as, as just a basic human, human thing of we have a lot of us kind of grow up or kind of conditioned to have this fear of what I say, if you really know me, are you going to love me? right? Kind of that, that kind of maybe self-belief or self-doubt of maybe I'm unlovable or I'm, people aren't going to accept me for who I am. And like you said, if it's someone out there in the world that I'm not really tied to, I'm not really connected to, if you choose not to accept me for who I am, maybe that's okay. Might sting a little bit, might kind of be a bit of a bummer, but I'm not going to leave that and be devastated. But then, you know, the stakes are quite high when it's someone we've chosen to be our partner in life. And especially we see kind of in in these really long-term significant relationships like marriage, there's no hiding a lot of parts of yourself, right? I, I kind of like to think of it in the terms of you're very naked in a marriage. You're very naked both physically, emotionally, mentally, 
that person sees you and you can't really hide much from them, you know, just because the, the, the nature of the relationship. And so I think conflict in there is it is it's scary because you already see all of me. And are you going to like all of me? So maybe if I just avoid the conflict, then I won't I won't have to have you answer that question. I can just, you know, <laughs> avoid that fear, right? If, you know, if we have this conflict and it doesn't go well, is that going to reaffirm maybe a bit of that fear that I'm unlovable or, or, you know, someone sees me and they don't like who I am. So, no, I think, I think you're absolutely right that that particular conflict with who we choose as our partner in life, it's, it can be scary and it can be intimidating for lots of reasons. And so I'm intimidated. And yes. I think you do, you're really great. I'm, I'm naked, but I'm afraid to be naked, right? Vulnerability yes. is something that's, that's really scary for a lot of people. And, yeah. you know, it's tied to trust and, you know, what, what will you think next? So what sort of tips do you have for couples that are, are struggling with that vulnerability or struggling with that being naked uh, with my partner and opening up to them, especially when it's something that I know you're probably going to disagree with? And I know it's <laughs> yeah. not going to be an easy answer to this problem. Well, I think one of one of the biggest things I look at when I'm working with a couple is is the fact that a lot of times we're responding to someone's naked vulnerability in a way that tells them that communicates something that we often very unintentionally are doing. And and I I like the phrase being naked because for one it's a bit provocative. You can you can kind of like visualize it really easily in your head and you know, I always kind of start with the idea of if you took all your clothes off, right? Your, um, you know, arse naked in front of your partner and they kind of did, you know, a disgusted face. Would you ever want to take your clothes off again? And everyone kind of says, oh, no, no way. I, I would be fully clothed. If I ever did have to get naked, you know, lights would be off. You know, there would, there would be no, no chance that that person could kind of give me that face again or give me that reaction again of, I don't like what I see. And I think we do the same thing, but very unintentionally in the way that we respond to our partner being emotionally vulnerable, maybe sharing something that's hurtful or sharing something that they're scared about. And the way that we're responding based on our own understanding of, you know, our world and how we how we view it is is telling our partner, "Hey, I don't I don't like what you're sharing. I don't like you. Just in the same way that if we're kind of seeing them physically naked, the way that our, our, our response kind of communicates one thing or another. So I think one of the, the biggest things is to recognize how I'm responding to you when you're naked is, is communicating something to you, whether I realize it or not. And so helping them to understand what, what types of responses can can reaffirm you rather than tell you i don't i don't like what i'm hearing i don't like what i'm seeing okay i think that's a actually a really great analogy it's a provocative one as you said and and i think <laughs> it really drives at home right that if someone looked at us with physical disgust when we dropped our clothes of course we would react in ways that would close everything down and to think right. about that emotionally i think is really really important and so one of the things that i hear a lot as they've been as people have been reading dangerous love is i'm doing this i'm putting in the work in the marriage i'm i'm working hard i'm trying to be vulnerable i'm trying to see my 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 partner as a person 
I'm doing all of this stuff to help things go right, but I don't feel like my partner's participating. I feel Mm -hmm. like they won't engage back. They're not putting in a similar level of work. I hear a lot of times it's not fair. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm invested or putting in work this way in ways that they're not. And we talk a lot about this in the book about turning first and being the first to turn and inviting uh, you know, the other person to turn. But there's a general level of frustration that I've, I've had from some readers with, I've been doing that my whole life. But my partner, they never turn first. My partner, they, they don't respond that way. They take advantage of me. And, you know, my guess is, because I hear this a lot as a conflict meteor, my guess is a lot of marriage therapy starts with, let me tell you about my spouse and all the things that are wrong. And <laughs> yeah. can you help me fix them, right? Like that's, right, that's the general right. approach. Like that therapy is about you and me partnering up and fixing, <laughs> and fixing my spouse. And, you know, I, I tell a story in the book about Jennifer and Hirota. It was a classic sort of example of, you know, a woman coming in and, and saying, okay, here's all the problems with my husband. Let's get him in. And it was very hard to get him in. And at one point even saying, all I want is for, for him to be in the room. But the minute that he's in the room and he starts to talk about some of the challenges, she was out. And, and so there is this sort of, there's, I'm, I'm curious how you help couples stay focused on what they can change and what they can't change and not giving up sometimes when they don't get the reaction that they would really like to have, which we all would like to have in conflict, which is, hey, I've never thought of it that way before. You make great yeah. sense. I'll, I'll just totally go along with what you're saying now. So so there's a couple of thoughts that I had as as you were kind of going there. And, and the first one is, is, Yes, I think that that is a common theme that I see of I'm, I'm doing all the work and my partner is not, or I'm, I'm feeling constantly taken advantage of by my partner because, you know, I'm doing, 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 and, and they're not. And I think the reality is, is one, in my experience, that's just not true. What, what tends to be the truth is that we are doing towards our partner in the way that, that we would like them to do towards us, but not in the way that communicates to our partner, um, hey, I see you and, and I see your, your particular values. I see your particular worldview. I, I see you and even if it's not the same as me, I'm, I'm okay with you being you, right? And so I think that's, that's what I mean by we're responding to you. Maybe they're being emotionally naked and we're responding to them in a way that, that if someone responded to us, we would love and it would make us feel really great and it would make us feel very validated. But that same response to our partner in that moment is communicating something very different. And so I think one of the biggest things is, is recognizing not only, you know, I, I like, kind of like the, the I it versus I thou and, you know, kind of seeing them as a person the way that you, you describe that. But seeing them not just as a person, but as a, as a unique person, that they don't have to be the same person as me. And those differences, like we talked about, you know, man, there's so many differences when we come together in a relationship. Those differences, maybe that used to be really attractive to us or maybe what drew us to this person in the first place are also kind of the things that will push us further and further away because we're not reacting and responding to them in a, in a language that they understand, in a language that that tells them what they need to hear, 
And so I, I totally agree with you that, that yes, there's so many people and they're just making such a huge effort. And that's, I think, what's so frustrating is, is they genuinely are making such an effort, but it's, it's not in the language that their partner is going to hear. And it's not in, in the way that's reaffirming them. And oftentimes it's doing the exact opposite. It's telling them they're not valued and they're not important, which is really sad if you think about it, because all they want to do is tell their partner that they love them, right? And that they're important to them. And, and that's, that's not what they're doing oftentimes. And, and that can, it's just very frustrating. This is where, to me, the problem of self-deception becomes so hard, right? Because if, if I see the other person as a problem, then whenever my efforts to fix the problem don't go correctly, I have a convenient person to blame because I've already seen them as the problem in the first place, right? I, I don't go back and re-examine. Maybe there's a different way to approach this, or maybe I'm not handling this the right way, right? And so we can be doing work, but we can be doing unproductive work. It can Unproductive work can feel just as exhausting as productive work, and fr- frankly, even sometimes more exhausting because we're not seeing the results that we would like to see from that work. But the problem of self-deception comes in instead of saying, hey, I'm trying this, it's not working, maybe I should try a different approach or maybe I should think about how I might be able to communicate or work with my partner in a way that they're more receptive to, I instead tend to blame and say the reason this isn't working is because of them and they're stubborn and they're never going to change (laughs) and we're going to be stuck in this cycle. And then we get in these patterns and uh, we we write about this in the book and talk, talk about collusion patterns and this idea once that person rejects whatever it is that I'm trying to do, I'm actually giving more justification now that the person there's something wrong with that person because they should have they should have accepted my correction yeah. or my Absolutely. gesture. Yeah. And and so now there's something wrong with them and now I, I almost double down on, on the negative behavior, right? It's hard for people to break out of those patterns. Well, and I think the way you say it too, like they're like we on the outside can see it as negative behavior. But it's, but it's actually not in that person's perspective, right? What I'm doing towards my partner, even though it's actually hurting them, in my perspective, this is very positive because if someone was doing this to me, I would feel very validated. I would feel very loved and, and, and accepted for who I am. So I think that's, that's also kind of, you know, like I said, from the outside looking, you see how what they're doing is negative and it's pushing their partner away, but, but they have to be able to step back and, and, and I don't even know if it's stop looking at their partner as a problem, but actually just be willing to have an open mind that we all have different values and different ways that we feel loved by other people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the same for all of us. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, yeah, that's, that's a challenge because we, we do kind of put our blinders on and, and we are, we all have our egocentricity, you know, of like, I, how I see the world is how I see the world. And that's the only, the only way that works. So yeah, no, I think it's, it's multiple levels of kind of awareness and, and accepting that, Hey, I might not have all the answers for this. And I, and I love that idea that I have to see my partner, not, you know, just as a person can sound generic, but be as a person, as a unique individual person, and, and therefore, I have to get curious about them. I have to be intentional about my interactions with them. And I, and I think this falls into this category that I hear a lot. Look, when we first, as you pointed out, when we first fall in love with a person, 
they can be total opposites from us. I mean, there could be a, a lot of things that attract us to the person. And, and I call that easy love, right? When you're in a honeymoon phase, everything they do, even if it's different, it's quirky, it's cute. Yes, um, it yeah. makes me laugh. <laughs> and, and things are easy, but over time they get harder, right? And one way to look at that is, is it gets harder as I'm falling out of love or I picked the wrong partner or this isn't, you know, it, love should be easy. But one of the reasons I, I titled it Dangerous Love and talk about it is that I think actually deep, committed love, where you're really connecting with a person on a deep level and in all the ways that partners ultimately end up connecting. They might be parenting together. They're, they're you know doing finances together. They're, they're dealing with each other and their extended family and all those challenges. A lot of times that's just really hard. But hard yeah. is okay. <laughs> well, and hard is, hard is necessary because I think the way you describe easy love is – I don't want to say it's just surfacey love, but I think we haven't seen all our all our nasty bits and bobs of like <laughs> like you know like we we haven't seen each other's rough patches yet, and so I think when we're able to be in a position and in a relationship where you've you've seen those sides of me, I, I haven't been you know it's been so much interaction and so many different experiences that we've shared together and so through all of that you've seen all my nasty bits and you actually like me still and the way that you're responding to me confirms that you still like me right you're responding to me in a way that i understand that i i need to feel you know validated and, and reaffirmed and and through that like it is a deeper love because you you know that this person is accepting of you in, in all shapes and sizes. And, and that to me takes time, that, that, that does take time and it takes experience and it takes you know, that commitment and patience. And more so, I love that word curiosity, just really being curious and open to learning about your partner. I wanna bring up one, maybe the most serious question that we get. It's the one that, as I told several of my colleagues, hey, I'm gonna have Sharla on they're like, okay, ask her about this. I know you wrote about it. I know you talk about it all the time, but I just need another person to ask about this, which is around boundaries. Hmm. And, and this idea that can I love someone and still have boundaries with a person, uh, even, even my spouse? And what happens when in, in love, we hurt each other, and sometimes that hurt causes immense pain. And the reason that I'm not being vulnerable anymore is because I've been hurt emotionally or, or physically or sexually or what, whatever from this person. And so when I hear dangerous love, it, it literally feels dangerous to me. Like I, I feel like I've been in an, a, a relationship that's been toxic for me or abusive to me in the past. And this idea of turning towards this person, that giving them the chance to hurt me again, uh, or just opening myself up completely without boundaries is really scary to me. And, and I, I try to tackle that in the book, that that's not what I mean by dangerous love, that literally you have to put yourself in emotional or physical danger. I know you talk a lot about this. I think this is you know one of the areas that, that you're especially strong in. Can you talk to us about the role that boundaries play in relationships uh, even as we're talking about being vulnerable and opening up and, and you know, connecting with this other person, boundaries also play a role. So I hear two different, two different questions from you right here. And, and the first one is, you know, how do I have a, appropriate and healthy boundaries, even, even with someone that I'm so intimately connected with, you know, our partner in life, versus, you know, 
what do boundaries look like or how how do I employ appropriate boundaries in a dysfunctional relationship, right? So so the first the first part of that for me, right? And this is something I do, you know, I do, I kind of get teased a bit from friends and colleagues at how much I love boundaries, but I think I love it because it's been so incredibly important for me. I think being in the work that we are, you know, yourself and, you know, what I do is, you know, I'm so intimately connected with people and to keep myself safe and to keep that person I'm working with safe, I need to have appropriate boundaries. And so those boundaries are going to look very different with different relationships that we treat we have. But I think they still are necessary. And, and the number one reason is that we all have limits. We all, we all have things that we're really great at, but we all have limitations, the things that we can and can't do. You know, I like to kind of use the analogy of none of us have a magic wand. None of us have magic powers to fix or cure or provide, you know, necessary relief for other people. And so if we're looking at just how do I have healthy, good boundaries with my partner or with people in my life? We're not talking about this other side of it where maybe it's a unhealthy or dysfunctional relationship, but just, you know, the good relationships that we have. One of the questions that I, I like everybody to ask or kind of ponder on is, who am I actually helping? So I'm, I like the word helping because that particular word has this connotation that I'm doing something good, right? I'm helping. But a lot of times, you know, for example, when I'm working with a client and they're, they're really in a deep emotional turmoil, I, I don't want them to feel that pain because you can, you can see it on them and it's exhausting and, and you know the weight that, and the burden that they're carrying. But I have to step back and say, Am I trying to help ease this person's pain because that's going to help them move to the next, you know, next phase of their life or to a, a greater state of functioning? Or am I trying to remove this person's burden so that I don't feel uncomfortable because I don't like seeing somebody in pain, right? And so I think it's kind of, are you trying to take away someone's autonomy by helping them? Or are we allowing them to experience what they're going through and experience those things? And, and recognizing I have limits of what I can and can't do to help you. And I think if we think of that with our partner, right? If we have a partner who's struggling with something, who's in pain, who's maybe, you know, having you struggle with a mental illness or, or just a life challenge, what can we really do to help? Can, can we take that burden away from them or do we just support them in, in their own journey of struggle and, and doing? Because I think the minute we kind of try to help them overcome something that's their own, then we're taking that away from them. And then we're also placing the unnecessary burden on ourselves that, that actually, like I said, we don't have a magic wand to fix. So I don't, I don't know if, if that kind of helps explain kind of with a healthy functioning relationship but I think it's, it's constantly that question of, who am I actually helping? If I'm not healthy and well myself, then I can't help this person. And really, maybe this is a burden, this is a struggle that they need to do on their own. And I just to, need to let them know that I love them and that I'm here for them in the capacity that I can give. 
Does that does that make sense? Kind of. That's awesome, and I, and I think it's great to start there because if you're practicing boundaries and you're good at it in healthy relationships, right, it helps you to be able to p- practice it when things go off the rails a bit or they become dysfunctional. And so, what's what's your advice to people that are in a dysfunctional relationship about boundaries? So I think that's so so yeah. So there's kind of like the healthy, you know, good relationships. Is how, how do I do it on on this other side? It's it's not that much different. I think in in the dysfunctional kind of unhealthy relationships, though, you you also kind of have to decide, in my belief, kind of what what that role is. And I think the tricky part is a lot of times when we're kind of viewing these unhealthy relationships that are really hard for us to get out of, we've given them particular labels or terms that are hard to to step away from. For instance, a lot of ones that I've worked with with constantly is when we have parent and child, or you know, this is this is my parent. How can I walk away from my parent? I I, I love them. They are my parent. But I think one of the biggest things that can help us to I don't know, develop more healthy boundaries in these dysfunctional relationships is redefining who that person is in our lives. So we might say, oh, this is my partner. But then we might have a discussion of, well, okay, if this is your partner, what what does a partner do? What particular role does a partner or should a partner fill in a person's life? And if this person is not doing that for you, are they actually your partner? And, you know, they're kind of the same with a parent or a child. Okay, if this person is your parent, this is your father or your mother, what would you expect someone who's a father or a mother to to do in your life or or to be in your life? And if they're not feeling those things, maybe we need to give them a different role. They can be a friend or they can be a um, nice man, you know, as someone in your life that you, you know, maybe interact with once or twice a year, but they're not a father, right? So I think in maybe these more unhealthy relationships, it's it's still kind of starting at that base of who am I actually helping, but also kind of redefining what that person or who that person is in your life. Because we, we do, we give people names or roles, but they're actually not not really feeling the criteria for that role. And so I think we need to kind of adjust our, our way of, of defining who or what they are and what we want them to be in our life. I think that's a really, really great point. As a mediator, one of the things that I'm always interested in is the words that people use and the different meanings behind those words. So they'll say, well, uh, they don't love me. Well, what does love mean to you, right? And, and mm-hmm. as you've been talking about this, I think one of the things, it's a great point when I say partner, what does that actually look like and mean to me? And does this person fit the definition? Or can they? Can right? they? Can yeah. they is, I think that's a big one. If that you can get to that space, then life becomes a lot clearer about what we do next. And and one of the points I try to make in the book is I can see people as people, but it doesn't mean a, a particular relationship, right? Right. Like I can, I can see my roommate as a person, but still decide this isn't a good roommate for me, right? Yeah. This, is not, this is not a good fit. I can see my partner as a person, show them respect, um, show them care and concern, but also say that 
staying with this partner in this particular type of relationship is not the right relationship for us going forward. And I can change that relationship and continue to see them as a person. And when I do so, that actually helps the healing too of transitioning from one type of relationship to the other. But when I'm angry and frustrated and and leave a lot of things unresolved and I can't see their humanity, I tend to carry that toxic relationship with me even as I walk out of out of the relationship. Well, and I, I think just just with that, kind of like the way you say, you know, if this person's my partner, then there's a reciprocity there, a reciprocity of expectations. And if, if we're saying this person's my partner, then yeah, we're expecting them to respond and react to us in a particular way. And if they can't do that, or if they're not, they're unwilling to do that, then we, it's really back on us, right? Like then, then really we can't be upset at this person anymore, that they're not fulfilling this list of expectations that we've determined for them. Then it's really on us to, to step back and go, oh, okay, now I see this person, not just as a person, but, but who they are and who they can be. And if they can't be who I want them to be, then I, I need to be more accepting of that and set that boundary of, okay, this is who you are. I'm, I'll accept you for who you are as a person and, and as, you know, whatever. And then I need to let the rest of it go. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a hard thing. It's uh, very but hard. Can, but, but can be the thing that actually allows the healing and to put you in the proper relationship with the person when you might be in an improper one. Charlotte, this has been super helpful. Our our time's almost up today. And I just wanted to thank you for coming and sharing this with us. And I want you to talk just for a second, if you will, about you're doing some couples workshops we uh, are. coming so, up. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a part of another organization um, called Be The Ripple. And we, we have done um, live workshops in the past focused on mindfulness meditation and and healing and we especially with kind of the nature of the world right now we're looking to do more virtual things just to allow people to participate allow people to kind of gain some of those skills and so we're going to be offering a a four-week workshop on relationships and mindfulness and and learning you know some really helpful and, and impactful ways to grow your marriage and and those you know significant relationships with your partners so yeah, we'll be offering that in the next, um, probably in the next few weeks, we'll, we'll announce it. And, and it should be great to have anyone come and join us. Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on. Really encourage our listeners to come in and check out those uh, marriage workshops that are going to be happening online. Full disclosure, my wife Amanda does these <laughs> with Charlotte. I've seen them at work, though. They're a fantastic duo together. And you have the yoga mindfulness guru with the marriage therapist combination. And I think it can do a lot to really help uh, your marriage. So check those out. And Charlotte, thank you so much. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Chad. It was, it's been great. You've been listening to the Dangerous Love Podcast. Aloha. Aloha.